With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It is June 8th. It's the PFF forecast. We're doing the mailbag today. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got like 10 questions, um, and we're going to run through all of them. It's going to be a lot of fun. I also have a what I think is a hot food take for you. I'm saving that for the end. Okay. And we also, we have a gift today, which is... ESPN redrafted the entire <laughs> entirety of the NFL, and it's glorious. So we're going to talk about that at the start. Let's rock. Yeah, your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> this is the gift that keeps on giving, I feel like. It, it, it was it was a gift. I had two gifts. You'll notice if you're watching that I'm, I'm sunburned. Uh, I went on a run earlier, and I just wanted to mention one really cool thing, which is on my run is you've seen these pictures of the Black Lives Matter uh, in yellow paint above, uh, you know, from above D.C. Uh, that's on 16th Street, and I run by that every day. And today was the first time I'd run by it with that painted on. And there were hundreds of people there taking pictures. And I just thought how cool that was. Now, while that was happening, I was getting scorched (laughs) to death by the sun. (laughs) So I don't know what that says, but um, it was definitely worth it. It was very cool to see. And then, so I had that gift. I get back, and then there is the gift of ESPN redrafting all players in the NFL. So starting at number one, and what we're going to do, we're going to do two We're gonna do two things. We're going to talk about it right here for like two minutes. On Thursday, we're going to have uh, Timo and Kev come on the show, maybe even someone else. We might open it up to five or six people, and we're going to do this redraft uh, ourselves and get it more right. Um, I'm going to run through the first like 15 picks. Mahomes. Why well, stop at fifteen? Don't stop at fifteen. Because we. Okay. Okay. I won't stop at fifteen. I'm going to go through the whole thing real quick, and then you're going to tell me the craziest things. Mahomes, Wilson, Jackson, Watson, Aaron Donald, Ronnie Stanley, Joey Bosa, Drew Brees. I don't know if that's pre or post apology Brees. Dak Prescott, Nick Bosa, Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Drew Locke at fifteen to Denver. At 16, Atlanta takes Matt Ryan. 17, Kyler Murray, Teddy Bridgewater, Jimmy G, Christian McCaffrey, Baker Mayfield, Michael Thomas, the receiver, Sam Darnold, Khalil Mack, Ryan Tannehill, DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, Matt Stafford, Tyreek Hill, Tua, Kittle, Gilmore. Go. The most offensive thing of this entire draft is that Drew Locke went ahead of Matt Ryan. How fucking embarrassing. Drew Locke was not even a top 15 pick in his own draft to like last season. He and Denver fans, you know, Denver fans are like, oh, he had a 90 pass. 90 passer rating is league average. It's below league average. It's, it's below league average. He averaged 6.5 yards per pass. And yeah, they went four and one. They got gifted a win against the Chargers by the refs. They got, you know. They got blown out in Kansas City. They won. They beat Oakland by a point at home. Like, stop. Matt Ryan is like, what? Matt Ryan is a 
borderline Hall of Fame quarterback who's still like he is not at the end of the road and you take see this is like this is like I think like the content thing where somebody's got to be like yeah we need to create something I need it I'm the Denver beat writer guy I don't even know what the, I don't even want to say this person's name but I'm the Denver beat writer guy and I'm going to stoke up the like I can see this coming man but like Drew Locke has proven nothing in the NFL, and he's taken ahead of Matt Ryan, an MVP. Not to mention the guy who actually went first overall in the same draft, Kyler Murray. And yeah, then it's ridiculous. I, I think so, the second, the second funniest one. And dude, I love Teddy Bridgewater as much as anybody. Yeah, I was. Just but the fact that, that he went ahead of Jimmy G is just unreal. And it's, Baker and Mayfield. Baker, I mean, honestly, every quarterback taken after. Teddy Bridgewater, I would have rather had than Teddy Bridgewater. Like the idea that you would take Tua at thirty and Teddy at eighteen is absolutely comical. Now, I was going. You can make fun of every non-quarterback pick in this in this draft, and I get that Aaron Donald is the most dominant player in the NFL, but he plays defensive tackle. Like we've seen him be the best player in the NFL and play for a, like three and third, uh, yeah. you know, like a four and twelve team in Los Angeles slash St. Louis. So um, that that is those are bad. As far as the quarterbacks go, I found a few to be really interesting. Obviously, the Teddy one, Jimmy G going ahead of Baker Mayfield, I thought was also really interesting. Would you like how crazy is that to you? I think people are way too low on Mayfield. Agree. You know, I uh, our friend Aaron Nagler said he looks kind of like early career Favre last year. Um, wow. That that's an interesting. I mean, so and I and I went back and I and my I think my intuition served me. Now they did the, the 1993 Packers actually did make the playoffs, but Favre's Favre's line that year: 61 percent completion, 19 touchdowns, 24 interceptions. He led the NFL in interceptions that year. Two years later, he's the MVP, right? Running a string of five straight 30-touchdown seasons. Um, 6.3 yards per pass attempt, which is bad even back then. Um, it makes... I mean, it's it's pretty interesting, right? Favre's first year, 92, 64% completion, 18-13 touchdown interception ratio, and seven yards per pass attempt. So there was that second-year dip in Favre um, to the point where in 94, Holmgren was thinking of benching him for Mark Brunel. He gets out of that trial. Like... I think Mayfield, and granted, none of this guarantees that Mayfield would be any good, but it kind of, I think, gives us a little bit of a pause, right? It, it, it's better than somebody like Drew Locke, who has shown nothing so far and has no pedigree. I mean, he's a second-round pick, so you know, Mayfield's the first overall pick and had a good rookie season and struggled as almost every quarterback that's played for the Browns since Bernie Kosar did last year. When we do this on Thursday... Would you? Do you think the first thirty-two picks will be quarterbacks? Uh, um, no. I'm very interested to see. I, I, I'll tell you what: the first fifteen certainly will. Yes. <laughs> first but twenty here's certainly will. Another one that's will. atrocious, in my opinion. And I really like our friend Courtney Crone and put Ryan Tannehill at twenty-five for Minnesota. No. How does Kirk Cousins not make this first round, by the way? Kirk is a better quarterback than Teddy, I'll say. Jimmy G, kind of. He's a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. You better not give me... A, I'll, I'll take, I'll take tell Jimmy me, tell over me Kirk, Kirk Cousins being in the any first day. Round is, like, I, I am Kirk's biggest critic, by far. But Kirk deserves to be in the first round of this godforsaken draft, right? I agree, I, but I would still take Jimmy ahead of him. I would okay. take I would I, take Tannehill higher. Well, obviously, you take Ryan Tannehill over Khalil Mack. I mean, the, some of these are are catastrophic. I mean, Joey did they, Bosa did they, at seven. Did they do this? They had well, to have done this knowing who was taken ahead of them, right? I mean, yes. here's the thing that I don't How understand. How else would you do it? Here's the thing that I don't understand. So here's Tannehill. 2012 to 2016 yards for pass attempt. Uh, 6.8, 6.7, 6.9, 7.2, and then in 2016, 7.7. You know, he struggled a lot in 2018, but he was coming off of consecutive ACLs, right? Mm-hmm. And he didn't grade well for us. Um, but even then, he was still like 7.2 yards for pass attempt, 
almost two to one touchdown interception ratio. Then last year he goes seventy percent completion. Like, are we? And again, I think Tannehill will regress, but he's regressing from a pretty high spot on a trajectory that was looking pretty good for a former top ten pick. Like, no, I, and I'll say this. I'll say this. I think given some of the players that were taken, it's egregious that Josh Allen wasn't taken in the first round. Like, given given the fact that you're willing to take Khalil Mack at 24, like Josh Allen, I'll take Josh Allen over that. Here's a question that I got for you about Tannehill, just to, just to sort of center our intuition about this thing. What's Tannehill's career record? He has 98 starts. I would guess that his career record in 98 starts is... Um, man, I mean, I kind of want to go... You know, uh, 500, and say he's 49 and 49. He's exactly uh, 500. Okay. <laughs> so, so we talk, he's played for Joe Philbin, who stunk. He's played for Adam Gase, who many think stinks. Yep. And then he played for the Tennessee Titans, who were two and four when he took over last year. And he's managed a 500 record in his career. So Warren Moon is a Hall of Famer and has a career 500 record. Like. Th- w- Tannehill, everybody thinks that this guy was like this wounded, like, cult or something that, like, Arthur Smith propped up, when in reality, like, no, he's a very talented player. He had an outlier season that's probably not going to be quite as good. But what if he played like he did in 2016 this year? Do the Titans still make the playoffs? Should he be worthy of a higher than top 25? Should he be picked 10 picks behind Drew Locke? No. This is ridiculous. I just think it's absolutely incredible that two members of the same family, neither of whom play quarterback, went in the top ten out of the entirety of the NFL. Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa, both of whom went above of Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, and Joe Burrow. You're telling me that you would take Nick Bosa over Joe Burrow? Stop it. I mean, what did Joey it. Bosa do? Like, I love. Look, the Bosa family is a great group of defensive ends, <laughs> and we're just dagging on all of these people. But, but, but the, but Joey Bosa had zero effect on the 2019 NFL season. Why? Because the quarterback for the Los Angeles Chargers played terribly. Yeah. No, I right? mean you're making Nick great Bosa points. had a great effect on the NFL last year. Why? Because the San Francisco 49ers quarterback played pretty well. <laughs> like, the the whole thing is. Is atrocious. Like, there's, I don't know. Same thing with Donald. Like, Donald had a great season last year, and the Rams were just a so-so team. Yeah, it's what I mean. It's what we talk about all the time. Positional value really matters. Uh, so we'll dive into this uh, full bore on Thursday. We're gonna do uh, questions here because we got a bunch. A lot of them are really good, um, and we're gonna try and do these somewhat rapid fire. So I'm thinking around four-ish minutes per. I'm actually going to set a timer because we have a tendency, as we did just there, to get uh, to, to get a long winded. <laughs> you were hot though; you came in firing. I, the thing I, the Drew Lock thing will drive me insane. I mean, how many members of Drew Lock's family are even taking him in the top twenty? Like zero? Come on! I, and uh, kudos to Drew Lock. Drew Lock was out um, protesting this week in Denver. Yes, he, By he all does. accounts, is like a great. Great dude. That's fantastic. I'm not talking about that. There are plenty of good leaders out there, like Dwayne Haskins, who was here in D.C., and he didn't go in the first round. Um, I take Dwayne Haskins over Drew Locke in a heartbeat. Haskins was picked 25 picks ahead of Drew Drew Locke last year. He played better last year. And he played better in the second half of his tenure. Like, I don't know. I agree with you. Like, there is something when I see, and again, this is like our biases, like, in place. When I see... Drew, like last year, when we're all like negative on Mitch Trubisky, there were a couple times when like Jim McMahon stood up for him. I'm like, geez, Jim McMahon's a winner. If he like, thinks Trubisky's good, <laughs> I'm a little nervous here. Or like the players, like, you know, we love Mitch. And it does, so as somebody who, and I granted, I have no, I don't care if Drew Locke is good or bad necessarily, but my when I see him out there leading his team like that in a protest where I, it, it does make me think like, wow, this guy gets it. Right now, yep. there can be plenty of getting it and then just being like Josh Allen, not being able to hit the broadside of a barn. But if he gets it, and then you look at Pat Shermer, we talked about that last week. I think it's a great addition for Denver. Like there, he shouldn't be taking fifteenth in this thing, but he, there there is a chance that he could lead a good Denver team next year. Here's uh, what I would, maybe here, that's here's what how projecting. I would say it. Here's how I would say it. There's no way right now that you can take him 
in the in the first round, I don't think. Well, no, maybe at the end of the first round if we're going if all If everybody pitches. took a quarterback, yeah, he could the, go in the first round. He could go in the first round. <laughs> but not a- there is a he has the supporting cast around him to where if you do this next year, you could make a there's a really good chance that he does go in the top 20. Um, but I'll be interested to see where he goes on Thursday. Okay, you want to lead it off? Go with question one. Sure. Um, <laughs> so one of the uh, so one of the and I thought this was great. I because I actually had this um, the the players that we talked about that like we irrationally loved. Yes. Uh, our our friend Arrigan, uh posted in in the this is in the iTunes uh, comment section. Players I perhaps irrationally believe in. Antoine Smith has a career 8.6 yards per carry average. I don't know if that's the Antoine Smith that played for the Patriots when they won the Super Bowl, or the Antoine Smith that played for what the Falcons. Uh, um, no, it's it's the Patriots one, isn't it? Okay, and then Andrew Hawkins, friend of at least the PFF uh, NFL show, and you know uh, PFF fan, and we're a fan of his, is literally unguardable. And this was my favorite one. Because I totally believe this too, and I'm mm-hmm. a dime all the time safety transition to linebacker fiend. Sua Cravens is a defensive coordinator's dream, which I actually believed at the time. So I feel uh, a, a a sense of uh, togetherness with Aragon here. And then obviously at the end he says, "Pods, I quite rationally believe in the PFF forecast." Thank you very much. Uh, so the Antoine Smith one is great. That's um, that's of Falcons lore. That's, Antoine that's Smith, the one. yeah, the, the Antoine Smith that won the Super Bowl is a little bit different than the Antoine Smith that, yeah, that played for the Falcons. Um, yes, and um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you. I just had it up here. Uh, so Antoine Smith, um, by the way, spelled like it's Antone Smith. So maybe that's actually how you pronounce it. But averages 8.6 yards per carry on. Uh, is it 40? Yeah, 40 career rushing attempts. So, I don't know. It's always a chance. He was also a pretty good receiver. Um, Andrew Hawkins, who... One of the funniest moments of the Combine this year was at our party that we have where, you know, like, media members and, and some team members come and hang out. Uh, Steve Smith is always probably top three in terms of funniest people there. And... Steve Smith and Andrew Hawkins are just sitting there, like, hanging out, talking. And a guy comes up to uh, Steve Smith and introduces himself, says he works with D'Angelo Williams, you know, the, the Panthers running back, mm-hmm. who, by the way, might be one of these guys that I still <laughs> rationally believe in. Um, and he's like, hey, you know, like, uh, I'm, you know, I, I do a podcast with one of your good friends, D'Angelo Williams. And Steve Smith kind of looks at him like, do you really know that D'Angelo Williams is one of my good friends? And ends up just kind of bashing on this guy for like 20 minutes, good heartedly. It was really funny. Steve Smith is one of the funniest guys I've ever met. That guy's yeah, hilarious. Yeah, he's Panthers. Um, by the way, just a really funny collection of running backs in their history. Um, starting, of course, with Tim, uh, Tim Biakabatuka. Um, obviously, I will stand for that name. There was also mm-hmm. Deshaun Foster. I was going to mention Deshaun Foster. D'Angelo Williams. A, Jonathan many Stewart. Deshaun who, Foster's shares. Jonathan Stewart was the only... Jonathan Stewart somehow milked like 10 years out of an NFL career where he couldn't stay healthy after year two. But he was uh, always... He was always a guy that when given the opportunity and was fully healthy, would have one of those like 35 carry, 180, 180-yard yeah. games. And you're like, oh my God, I could build... Uh, this is the rock upon whom I shall build my church. Um, any other guys that, that stick out to you on this list? These are three really good ones. Andrew Hawkins, I need to look up his statistics. Sue Cravens had a really interesting story, right, of, of concussions, depression, mm-hmm. um, you know, Denver. Well, is it was it Washington at first, like sort of mishandling his situation, and then eventually Denver. Uh, I totally thought that Sue Cravens was going to be good, and, and he, you know, for, for a number of reasons, didn't end up working out as as one does. Is Andrew Hawkins a guy that was just in the league 10 years too early? 7 years too early? Um Yeah, I think so. Like cuz right now, right? Like little, you know, smaller receivers are really like being thought of. I mean, Antonio Brown is as much of a weirdo as he's become. 
is like a uh, you know catalyst for guys like Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, smaller receivers are really are, are able to be number one. I mean, Steve Smith, the guy we just talked about. Yeah. Um, you know, not a pro. To, in fact, his first play in the NFL, he was a kick returner before he ever became a wide receiver. Um, you know, but now NFL wide receivers can be littler and still be number one guys. All right, next question. Um, this is from. These are all, by the way, five star reviews in uh, on iTunes. So if you want to get your question read at some point later on this off season, five star review in the comment section, and we'll read it. Um, this is by Hey Andy twenty three. Says I've been a fan of the other PFF shows and came to this one about two months ago. Welcome to the promised land, uh, and I love it. I know in the off season people have always talked worst to first and bet which team has the best chance. What are the two teams that you think are at risk of going first to worst in their division? This is a great question. Yeah, yeah. A fantastic question. So, um, why don't we why don't we go uh, alternating here? What's one that you think of? Uh, the Patriots. Okay, the Patriots are easy though. But so that that's that's almost cheating because they get rid of the greatest of all time at quarterback and put in mm-hmm. Jared Stidham. Yeah. So, so let's 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 both okay, have that. Okay, let's eliminate the some. Side. Let's eliminate some. Okay. Uh, Jacksonville is too horrible for Houston to be a realistic choice here. Agree. Okay. Um, the Ravens are too good to be considered a realistic choice here. Agree. The Chiefs are too good to be a realistic choice here. Yeah. Um. I want I two years ago I would have said Philadelphia is too good to be considered a choice here. But I also think that the, the some combination of the Giants and, and Washington is is too bad to, to okay. elevate themselves out of the basement. We're getting to my number one pick, which, which is, is the, the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. The Green Bay Packers have a wonderful chance of going first to worst. Okay. And I, I see the hate. I can feel it. I, the Green Bay Packers have a very devoted fan base. Aaron Nagler, shout out to you. Um, but they are primed. They did nothing in the draft. They have a QB who's potentially like very pissed off. They were mm. better than their record was last year. Matt LaFleur, who has appeared to be a leader during this time, whatever that means... Um, apparently just like not saying that you wouldn't kneel during the national anthem classifies you as being a leader during this time. Um, I'm not sold on Matt LaFleur, uh, especially based on what he's done in Tennessee, right? Like they were a worse offense with him in Tennessee. Um, and that, you know, that receiving core, and I expect some defensive regression there. So the Packers are my first choice. Yeah, that's an easy one. Um, not an easy one. But it's a, it makes a lot of sense. To go um, from first to worst is hard, though. It takes yeah, yeah. a really special concoction. Um, yeah, because if you go through, I think San Francisco's too good for that, although the rest of the division is good enough. Like if, like, so there's a, I think San Francisco is... Third most likely? Yeah, I think they are likely. They could and, go like 8-8 eight and eight and be a last place team a la like the 0-8 yeah. Saints. I mean, and, I... For people that are new to this, like, I'm from the Bay Area. I'm a huge uh, 49ers fan, but I'm a realist. I'm not, like, one of these crazy people. And I love Jimmy G as a player, and I, like, I think he's one of my favorite players in the NFL, but I'm not, like, I don't think he's the best in the NFL. I'm not Denver beat reporter. I'm not taking Jimmy G top five. Like, there's a real chance that Jimmy G is not on the other side of 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 the median where people think he is right like he was basically right at average this past year and i think people expect him to fall on the other side this year he could fall on the other side they have a really unproven receiving core and all of a sudden then you've got a quarterback no one's scared about and you're trying to run the ball a ton and you could have some defensive regression and every other team in that division could be very good yeah um that's a, and there's a there's a really good chance that Jimmy G could be the worst quarterback in that division in any yeah, given year. Which isn't saying that he'd be the worst than Drew Locke, but just that he'd be right. New Orleans is tough because I think the rest of their roster is good and their quarterback is good. Um, yeah, although the Advocare could start having a real negative effect. It, it could. It really could. And then, and then obviously, <laughs> like the funniest thing at Carolina is Teddy. I think gets that team to six wins. So, yeah, you have an irrational belief in Teddy Bridgewater. Are there any teams that we're, we're missing here? I think we hit every 
yeah. division, right? Yeah. I mean, um, the Patriots are the clear one. I think Patriots no one has any one. faith in the Dolphins or the Jets. I can see the no faith in the Jets. I think our friend Evan Silva tweeted out some, mm-hmm. some like, we're seven and nine being high for them, but they were, like, minus 80 in point differential. And I think the know, Eagles... That. I think the Eagles are need to be up there because of the way that weird stuff has happened to them. Yeah. Like they're just I, I, Carson Wentz, man. There's a little bit of him where you just you go, this this ends weird, and we have like a thirty for thirty on him twenty years from now about the guy that never was. Yeah, it's a weird. It's saying. a it's an odd. He's an odd player. All right, let's By move on way, to I, another one. Yeah, let's move on to another one. I was just gonna say oh. if you haven't read the. Drew Brees Advocare ESPN article that Mina Kimes wrote many years back. It was one of the best rereads I've ever had. Look, is- we all had that friend in college who like decided to like quit doing schoolwork and was going to be a part of a pyramid scheme. And my <laughs> and my roommate, th- I hope I hope Kyle's not listening to this, but my roommate in college totally like he was a great he was a kicker for our team. He was great. He missed like one kick all year. And then halfway through, like, second semester of my senior year, his junior year, he just started selling. I think he was, like, with I, – I don't – I'm not – I'm trying not to defend anybody, but he was with one of those pyramid schemes. And the guy bought in. And probably the most annoying person in the city of Moorhead for the last, like, three months of our college careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sounds like Drew Brees is similarly yoked. Did you really just tell, like, a two-minute story without even mentioning what – the scheme was it was like amway or it was like quick star or whatever it was called right like and <laughs> that you know, was a he, tremendous build-up to be like yeah i don't even really remember what it was it was but like, like here's his no, name I, I, here's his i think zip it's code. actually pretty popular i think that's like a popular pyramid scheme the, uh, the one that i don't think was quite a pyramid scheme were energy drinks but that was big when i was in college okay the, um, the guy the guy set up an experiment he the guy thought that the water they were selling was like would make you jump higher and literally somehow got the athletic department at our university to make him test it. Maybe they were just trolling him, but, like, he got four or five people to test it, and obviously the water didn't make people jump higher, and it was just, like, big embarrassment. It was it was unreal. Like I think we've just taken up our next question, but we're okay. going to speed through it anyways. Uh, I'll just read it since um, I'm on it right now. Uh, this is from at Jaron. Brenton with like eight ends. I doubt that's how he spells his last name. But Jaron, um, this podcast feels like you met two extremely interesting uh, R&D directors at a party and they're giving you all their proprietary knowledge of the game. Thank you. Highly recommend engrossing listen. Thank you. His question, how good does a player have to be to merit trading a first rounder for him? Which positions make it easier to justify? Is there close to an absolute value of a first round pick Obviously, where the pick lands matters. I appreciate it. Keep it up. Uh, he's at Elias Timus on uh, on Twitter, which is interesting. Yeah. So, what do you think? I mean, how good does the player have to be? Well, I think it's not. What's it, the number? What's the number of quarterback that's worth it? So, if you're saying if you're saying you have pick what thirteen, twelve. 10 I don't know that's the tough thing is like it's the pick and it's who's available um, that makes it tricky I would say that the uh, that the average NFL quarterback like if you could get if you could get Jimmy G for pick 13 you would do it right mm-hmm yeah I mean the hard part is... I think that's like the line for me. The hard part: Would you take any? Would you use a first-round pick to trade for any non-quarterback? Is really the question. Is a good is a question to throw that, out there. That is a great question. I would, I would, do so, given the right context. So I would trade a late first-round pick for a DeAndre Hopkins if I have a quarterback already. If I don't have a quarterback already. And there's no one in that draft, you know, that I like that. It has to be in the context of my team already has the guy that can make this dude worthwhile. Like, I can't be picking a non. This is okay. This is the way to put it. I'm not bringing on a non quarterback to take me from three wins to three and a half. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the problem. We saw that with the, the salary article that we wrote. Uh, if I have a quarterback who's on year two and he's like Mahomes and I'm pretty freaking sure that he's amazing and I still have him wrapped up on two years, I, I would trade for an elite wide receiver even on a veteran deal. Um, okay. What what would because you because I know I can get more than the sum the sum of the parts with him. If I have a veteran quarterback and the player in question and a, on a veteran deal, and the player in question is somebody on another veteran deal, I would I'm not doing it. So here's a question for you. Let's say you have no quarterback. Would you give up pick no. twenty for a? middling to below average quarterback who is a little older. So my thinking is, and I know this would be massively unpopular, but would you give up pick 25 for Andy Dalton? If you have no quarterback. If I have no quarterback, no. I don't I, think I would either. I, what's, the problem what's is the, that you don't have a quarterback. You don't want to be using those picks. What you want to be doing is you want to be trading the picks so that you have a war chest to find to get a to get an opportunity right. to have a quarterback the following year. Yeah, I'd agree. It's like I'm, I'm trying to win the Super Bowl. The other so scenario, which well, do which does me? work to me, is if I have so let's well throw out all the conditions. If the player is a corner wide receiver, possibly an offensive lineman, because I know that tackle, the, value, yeah. the value differential is still there, and he is on his second. He's on second year early. So, like, Minka Fitzpatrick is an interesting case because he's on. He's still cheap. There's not. He's a first-round pick, so you have the fifth-year option on him. And so when you trade that first-round pick, you don't also have to give him all. Like, Jalen Ramsey was past that point now because now the Rams have to give him a contract mm-hmm. in addition to all the draft picks, and they actually give up two for him. But you know what I'm saying? So it does matter where the guy is on his path. And... I think the most important thing is where your quarterback is on his path. Well, that, that was the thing with the Steelers. Now, they kind of lucked into it, right? They Their defense played so out of their minds that it worked out. The pick didn't end up being a top-five pick when it right. totally could have been. All right, you ready to move on? Perfect. You got this one? Let's do, okay, Cowboys analysis. Um, sock fudge. This is coming from Sock Fudge. Yeah. Hey, guys, love the pod. It's become one of my bi-weekly rituals to listen while I drive around for for Postmates during the pandemic, and I really appreciate <laughs> awesome. you guys keeping me sane. My question is about the 2019 Dallas Cowboys. This team greatly confused me due to them being being lights out of the garbage tier teams they played, but laying complete eggs against the teams when it mattered most, like other playoff contenders and the Jets. <laughs> Do you guys weigh performances against good and bad teams equally? It seems to me while you need to beat everyone, your performance against the good ones should be weighed uh, more when trying to predict the future. Thanks so much. Now, to answer this question, the PFF grades that appear in premium do not weigh anything any differently except for garbage time. Correct. So those are reduced a little bit. Now, the models that we build for things like war, fantasy, um, green line, uh, the things that we talk about in terms of like, uh, you know, opponent adjusted stuff, will very much do that. The the average person thinks that this matters more than it does. Than it does, yeah. And because because oftentimes you are you are model you don't want to model a player's circumstances more than you model his ability. And in football, it's so noisy and so low sample that if you go too far and opponent adjusts too much, you lose capturing how good the player was. So. Or being able to be predictive. I, honestly, it's more about prediction. You, and actually, our, our friend uh, Namita posted this on Twitter a couple weeks ago, which is like, you there, there's a there's a trade-off. If you want to predict how good he's going to be in the future, you have to roll in some of his circumstances. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting you're projecting how good he is because you know it's hard to untangle. It, it's a really hard problem, but I think people overestimate how much opponent adjustment will help them. You know, their season was so weird because they played teams, like they played the Dolphins at the beginning of the year, where the Dolphins that we think of now going back were like, yeah, they were bad, but like 
the talk in weeks one through four was like, are the Miami Dolphins like the worst team in NFL history? Like, would they beat Alabama? Like, all this stuff. At the end of the year, they beat the Patriots on the road, right? So I think we look at those games a little bit differently. Now, ELO does take into account the opponent and how you play against the opponent. So that is that is wrapped in there, too. I, I'm looking back at, at their schedule last year. Right? So they beat the Giants week one. They beat the Redskins week two. And they beat the Dolphins week three. Then they lose to the Saints in one of the most boring Sunday night games in history. The Teddy. Giants... All they, Teddy does is win. Yeah, the Giants like had no... No defense whatsoever. They put up 35. The Redskins were not great. You know, they played a lot of close games. Um, and, like, the, their losses, like the loss to the Vikings, um, the loss to the Patriots was a complete slot fest. Um, even that Bills game where they, like, moved the ball. So, I don't know. It, it's tough because I think we have a tendency to look back on the season and go, oh, yeah, they played crappily against all of these good teams when a couple of bounces go their way and you're like, actually, they played just fine. You know, that game in, yeah. in New England isn't in a, in a monsoon. It's like, okay, they actually weren't as bad. But um, The kicking game really hurt them. They were, they got better as the season progressed, but like early in the season, they were really, I mean, and Dak doesn't injure his throwing shoulder against the Rams and they probably beat the Eagles, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chicago game was really freaking weird. Trubisky plays well once all year, and it's against them on that Thursday night game. Yep. Thursday night in Chicago. Uh, the Jets game was a lot, was Darnold coming back and them sort of underestimating the Jets. Um, the Saints game, they should have won the Saints game, honestly. I mean, Bridgewater just has Jetta. You know, he has a Jedi, uh, Jedi mind trick on the well, scoreboard. And the, I mean, the Saints defense... And the pass rush, I, if I remember correctly, played out of their mind. That Jets game, they moved the ball up and down the field and like just could not score. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the they Packers also gave game, the ball to Zeke too much. When Tony Pollard's sitting there at eight eight tenths of a yard of a carry more, so yes, very. You true. hate to see it. Um, I also think, and with our timers up. I also think uh, coaching matters um, in those yeah. respects. Quite and a bit. we're t- we're going to write about Mike McCarthy this week. So um, our guy. All right, uh, next one from JJ who. Day, which is interesting because, like, J.J. Watt, but I guess maybe uh, not a Texans fan. Um, easily one of my favorite podcasts. My question is related to a top subject of the pod, running back value. I understand the data of running backs not mattering, but when I look into the article that we published on PFF.com about college wins above average, the most valuable non-QB seasons are littered with running backs. This is way different in the NFL and I was wondering if you guys could explain the difference at play there. Super topical because Travis Etienne is probably going to be like a top 10 pick next year and was valuable last year, according to wins above average. So you developed this model. Why don't you talk about it? Well, here's a couple of things. Um, if you can pull off receiving by a running back in college football, it's scarce. So catching the ball in the backfield as a running back is something that will not get you a whole lot of value as an NFL player, but will get you some as a college player. So I'm just going to throw receiving out there. Receiving and, and blocking are more scarce out of running backs that are at the college level than at the NFL level. So anybody that can do that as a complete back will get some value. But even on top of that, running the football in college football is, it's not, it doesn't close the game, but passing is less efficient for most teams. Um, and more scarce frankly you know so the differential between running and passing is not as high and then the 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 ability like it's less of a scheme thing and more of a talent thing in running the football in college so That's if you ex- have that talent thing above and beyond other players then it's going to show off more That's exactly what I was going to say the the thing about the NFL is that with 32 teams you condense the running back space quite a bit and it's easy to find 32 50 pretty talented guys over the course of say you know four draft classes but in one college season with 132 teams out there like that is a lot those are a lot of running backs and you can separate yourself and gain some value especially as you said when passing is a little less efficient 
And well, and and you can just athletically beat linebackers consistently at right. the college level and not at the NFL level. So if you have the ability to do that at a higher rate, there's some value there. But that's so, a great question. Do you think this guy hits on why running part of the reason why running backs are taken so highly? Because evaluators go out and they look at these guys and they go, wow, this dude is killing people, unlike anything I'm seeing, right? And intrinsically, they're kind of making this wins above average computation. And they're saying, like, this is super impressive. And it's really impressive, especially in comparison to, you know, some of these quarterbacks. I'm seeing them make a lot of mistakes. And that is one of the reasons that a guy like a Zeke, a Leonard Fournette, (laughs) which I can't not laugh about when I think of, um, go so highly in the draft. Do you think that contributes to it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I really do think that people are not, you know, people are compartmentalized in football. I mean, I think Belichick, when you when you listen to him about his um, evaluation, maybe has it a little bit better. You know, the Pioli, Belichick, uh, you know, where, you know, you have this guy's a six, this guy's a seven. But even then they don't have, like, they don't factor in positional value very well and I think when you're a scout your job is to sort of like find the best players and there's a little bit of there's a little lacking in terms of understanding the valuation the transformation the you know the the projection and so um I I would say that I mean I think when you look at you know this guy's above and beyond everybody at the NFL level or sorry at the college level you have a hard time of projecting and saying well what happens when the the talent pool shifts and the production function is more flat all that kind of stuff because that's not really how they think and not how they're trained to think yeah i'm not a fan of when the production function is flat yeah that's what about this one (laughs) um jd7788 love the show what's the craziest bet you've ever won or lost oh this is a good question um (laughs) the craziest bet i've ever won or lost uh, I can't, I can't talk about on the show. Um, so I'm gonna need to think about it for a second. <laughs> what about the bet that we had where we set a line on Renner's forty time? Yeah, that was. So do you remember exactly what we set it at? Well, so Renner thought he could run a four six, which is egregious. And so I think this is right before you moved here, and they were gonna go to like the UC and have him run it on turf, and I said. I was like, let's put it at 4.8, and I'll go over, right? Mm-hmm. And he ran like a 4.82, which is pretty impressive for like a non... I mean, he's an athlete, but he's not like an athlete athlete, He also right? had no idea how to start. Yeah, to he run. also just stood straight up by the blocks. So that was interesting. That was one. I'm thinking, okay... Give me... You, you've bet a lot of... A lot the of craziest things. bet I ever won was probably Jameis Winston to win the passing yardage title. And I think really? it was like plus... It was like 20 to 1 or... 25 to 1 or something crazy like that. That's probably it for me. Because um, we okay. wrote about it in Peter King's column. Everybody called us a bunch of stooges when you know <laughs> they started off bad. That's and true. And then he, he actually straight up goes and wins the thing. Um, the craziest bet I think I've ever won uh, from a sports perspective was the Falcons-Patriots Super Bowl. So I was I bet a lot on the Patriots in many different ways to start before the game happened. And at halftime, I'm like, I've got nothing to lose. And so I basically doubled down and got some pretty incredible odds and made a lot of money on that Super Bowl. That was like uh, during, yeah, uh, with that was like during the Chiefs-Texans game, right? Where like the, the best, you know, plus 300 in-game, plus 400 in-game, and then... yeah. So this this is a good this was a great question. I am a little bummed that I really want to tell this story. I need to think about it. I, you got to find out. You got to find a way to tastefully. Yeah, I got to find a way to, to talk about it because it, it is funny, and I bet there are some similar ones out there. So what I was going to say is let's let's do a little segment. Maybe this becomes an actual segment. Um, five star review, craziest bet you've ever won or lost, and like the story behind it. Um, I would love. I will read them out uh, yeah. next week on the show. That was awesome. It's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think of some others here. Uh, what did, do you remember? Why Mike Ayers chugged a 
uh, thing of cocktail sauce. Oh. Insane. No, I just think, like, honestly love Mike to death. I think he was just trying to fit in. What was it? Tyler, Tyler, tell me again. That's right. Tyson, it was the Tyson Fury fight. He bet me... Um, by the way, shout out to uh, Tyler Sopcich, who is the greatest producer in the game. Um, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, and Mike Ayers, sucker for, you know, looks, took Deontay Wilder. Idiot. All right. Uh, this is, this is, I have to read this one because this one's really funny. This is from uh, Hog, I, Hogman Hogland or something like that. You can't put that many letters Hogman together. Hogman in Hogland. Yeah, this is a great one. I, I can't read that from here. Um, the, the intro is just incredible. Hey, I'm a vegetable farmer, Packer fan. Love the show. Listen every week in the fields. We are intensive farmers growing many different crops in a small area. Kudos to you. You do a, some, some stuff that's pretty, pretty labor intensive. Um, been considering the use of efficiency metrics to evaluate crops. Smart. Uh, for instance, square foot uh, days, dollar value per, uh, of crop per square foot of planted space, and how many days those square foot uh, are, square feet are occupied. Systems are complicated, so there are a lot of other variables, but it's fascinating to consider. We can use that info to best use space. I would guess that this is saving people's like ability to farm, right? Like, if you can use math, there's got to be a huge, a huge advantage for you, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not unlike the stuff that we try to do. It's just that uh, the stakes are higher, but I mean, you're. You do everything right, and even then, it's subject to a substantial amount of noise, whether right. that be weather or, uh, yeah. you know, the prices and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, you give yourself the best chance. Um, so, so he said. Either way, that's not my question. Thank God, because I had nothing to add on uh, on farming out of my area of expertise. I'm considering the Packers and Chiefs getting uh, high round running backs. Packers feel good about their developing receivers. Uh, he lists them out. The Chiefs uh, are in the same type of uh, situation, except their receivers are actually good. Good point. Um, that was the previous uh, timer. Uh, maybe teams that are trying to win now are drafting cheap young talent at running back who can come in and play early and have success, not wait one to three years for development and more valuable position players. Obviously not achieving maximum value from those draft picks, but sort of playing it safe to get someone who can contribute right away for a cheap price. Any data to suggest that this makes sense is there good data on what war rookie wide receivers and tight ends contribute in years one versus running backs? Are receivers more valuable in one or two year window? And uh, if so, how often are they more so? Yeah, oh, this is a great question because I think, you know, 10 years ago when the bar for being a starting wide receiver in the NFL was playing every snap, you know, two wide receivers playing all the snaps and third and fourth wide receivers playing some subset of the snaps. Um, yeah, it was it was far more it was far more intelligent, I think, to play. Uh, you know, to I mean, running backs have always sort of been committee guys. Even you know the best guys would come in first and second down. You get a third down back. Mm-hmm. Now receivers and tight ends are more mix and match guys. So when you bring a guy in, I think Timo wrote about this. Like the learning curve isn't as steep as people think. And it's because you can play, you know, you can play a bunch of different sort of roles at receiver and still be effective even if you aren't perfect. That's always been the truth about running backs. Um, so it's a good point. I understand what the I understand what the question is, and I kind of get it. The problem is, I don't. My issue with the Chiefs drafting running back in the first round isn't what Clyde Edwards-Helaire will be to the team this year. My concern is what happens if he's awesome and then they give him a contract. You know, his second contract is, is, to me, is his biggest concern, right? The biggest risk. Well, if you're I was a Kansas gonna... City fan, is well, and again, and the opportunity cost of drafting him because you yeah. need corners, you need receivers, you need O line, all that kind of stuff. But, I, I was going to say this though, which is like you're not necessarily getting these guys for cheap. When you spend a first round pick on these guys, you're right. paying them a lot of money. And Let's go to our friends at Over the Cap here and actually yeah, that, look at this. That um, that was the thing that came to mind. It's like when you take a guy in the first round and you go, oh, yeah, he's going to be cheap, that's if it's a position like a quarterback or a tackle or a receiver. Saquon Barkley is the eighth highest paid running back right now. Um, and Leonard Fournette is the ninth highest paid running back. Yeah, so, so I mean, that's... It, it's, it's not the truth at other positions... 
Yeah, I mean, it's so a if you look lower. at four three, you look at four three defensive ends. So let's look at Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa is paid less than Shaq Lawson, Leonard Floyd, Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, Justin Houston, Ryan Kerrigan, Jason Pierre-Paul, Kyle yeah. Van Noy, Preston Smith, your boy, Brandon Brandon Grant, like. The second overall pick spent on a defensive end, there's value there in the sense that there's value there in the sense that the the, the dollar differential for a comparable player is is huge. Where at running back it's just simply not there. You you're getting a great back in Barkley, but you're paying for it. And I, I mean, you know, people always have this cutoff where it's like, okay, I'm just gonna look at first round wide receivers and I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna exclude all the others. But like there are worlds where you know, your first round guy is the Terry McLaurin or AJ Brown from last year. And so you don't, you want to take shots on guys that can be valuable at the receiver position because in that two year window, I mean, in that one year window, I don't, do you know exactly what um, McLaurin or AJ Brown's war was last year? I want to say it half was a win. close like, to half know, a win. Pretty high. Yeah. 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 So, like, that's going to be far more valuable than like two seasons of Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah. Um, which is kind of what the question was about. So that's a good question. Um, shout out to you being a vegetable farmer and a Packer fan. That's that's impressive. Look, the there's there's the uh, there's the uh, what was this? Um, the What's reputation your... of people in Green Bay, people in in Wisconsin, not eating vegetables. Right, is going against it. I was going to say, what uh, favorite vegetable? What is it? <sighs> Kale. Kale's, Kale's got that bitterness to it that's amazing. Yeah, Kale's great. Every day, I have it. Um, all right, let's go to uh, Horse Beans 11. This is a long one as well. Um, I love the pod and absolutely love hearing you guys when you show up uh, as guests on other quality NFL shows. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, and live with Collinsworth and other PFF personalities. We got to get Chris to call in, by the way. Yeah, we um, do. Question. Does... PFF collect data on the usage of defensive schemes being used in the NFL, and would this data be valuable uh, removed from personnel? For instance, there's been a lot of talk about how Seattle defensive scheme being run by a handful of teams is out uh, is outmoded, and perhaps at the end of its lifetime, despite San Francisco running some of it, some version of it, and having obvious success this past year. But you can also look at the Chargers and the Falcons and see it getting beat on a regular basis. How many teams are still running? It versus say a Tampa two or what New England is running. I love that you can't really uh, characterize that. Uh, is there enough data to determine if there's a big difference in defensive metrics when comparing those systems, or perhaps looking at the effectiveness of a three four front versus a four three, etc.? I'd love to hear your guys' uh, thought process here. Yeah, I mean it's pretty easy to cluster. Though I mean we don't actually collect data and say. And I actually did this. I looked down on Pro Football Reference and like what people are character. So, like, Andy Reid's uh, Kansas City offense is called the West Coast offense mm-hmm. on Pro Football Reference, even yep. though it's nothing like, you know, other West Coast offenses. Um, the 3-4-4-3 three, four, four, three distinction is pretty vague in the sense that, like, they're all 4-2s now, you know, because of nickel. Um, but we do collect data that can be turned into a scheme characterization. It's really easy to see, you know, the Chargers, Falcons, uh, Seahawks-ish, like, kind of all folded up together. Um, but th- what I found is the the, diff- the, the scheme similarity is, is the you have to be different than other teams. Like you got to make teams uh, adjust for you and, and prepare for you in ways that they don't have to for other teams. To me, that's where the edge is. And so Seattle used to be different, a lot different than other teams, and it sort of evolved back to where they're pretty characteristic of a lot of situations. And that's where I think they lose a little bit uh, of their ability to win there. So. Uh, that, that that's my two cents on it. I, I echo um, your statements there, and I think the w- what stuck out to me about this question was the way that he said how teams are still running the Seattle defense, the Tampa two, and then whatever New England is running, and that's the key delineation. You have to be continually able to change and innovate, whether you're on defense or offense, um, right? The the great thing about the 49ers is, yes, they have a lot of tenants from way back in the day, but they've innovated. Um, the, the New England Patriots continually innovate from game to game, um, and that's how you kind of stay at the top. 
which I think is really interesting. Um, we're running out of time here. There was a guy who had like 15 questions. This is um, Dylan J. Barker. He had like 10 questions. They're all pretty good. Um, one of them was if you were the GM of your favorite team, what would be the first three moves you would make? Uh, let's just narrow it down to like the first one or two. You're the GM of the Chiefs, first move you make. Uh, unload Chris Jones. <laughs> All right. Um, I am signing uh, George Kittle. But to what? I am not paying him um, more than... I'm making him the, the highest paid tight end, obviously. I think I would go to like the 15 to 17 range. Yeah, well, that, that's the hard part, though, is that, like, if that's... I mean, that's clearly going to s- set the bar, but if Kittle's wanting, like, wide receiver money, it's going to be really tough, you know? Whereas I think unloading Chris Jones is pretty easy in the sense that as long as you're willing, and maybe they're not, but as long as the Chiefs are willing to say, look, uh, um, hey, San Francisco, remember when we gave you D Ford? Uh, how about we give you Chris Jones stop. and you Please only stop. have to give us a third-round pick? Please um, stop. You know, you can you can sort no. of massage the price uh, to get rid of Jones, whereas it's really hard to sign Kittle unless you're willing to go through the negotiations. Which Look, I, think uh, is I would I would leverage the fact that we have the same first name um, okay. to get us to the same table. We'd break bread. We'd have an honest conversation. And be like, Look, dude, you had the best season you're probably ever going to have. We're going to pay you. Um, we're going to lock you down. You're never going to have anything to worry about. I, I believe that George Kittle's a simple man that just wants to win football games, and I respect that. We're going to pay the him for it. vegetable farmer from Iowa. <laughs> George Kittle, uh, I am lucky. I, George Kittle is like one of the most likable players in the NFL, I've got to think. Um, Can we read some of the mean tweets? I just wanted to read some mean tweets. Sure, let's close out with that. Give me a couple. Okay, so here's one I like from the, from the other day. David Greenshield who edited this, which I don't... How do you misspell any of these words? But leave it to Seth Rogen's brother and the fraternity guy to go woke as a joke. <laughs> Apparently we were too... Uh, too uh, Funny woke. as, like... Funny that we have... You know, people... The, the thing that triggers people the most isn't actually the opinions. It's that we dare to have them, which I yep. find funny. Um, the... Okay. Every... Jesus Oregon, which is like what I say every time that uh, Justin Herbert starts a game, but nonetheless, um, every time that guy on the right, I see that guy on the right, I click away as fast as I can. Is that me? I think it's me, actually. Well, no, I'm the guy on the right. Well, I think it was on that particular podcast, I was the guy on the right. Oh, so right now I'm the guy on the right. Jesus Oregon or Jesus Oregon. <laughs> um, Jesus. We got some really good feedback. The Jason Fitzgerald episode was absolutely lo- loved. Um, uh, okay. Um, Th- this was, uh, so as you're finding the next one, um, the Seren Petro podcast, if you didn't listen to that, um, I think the audio is a little tricky, but Seren is great. Talked yeah. about the AFC West. You should go Somebody listen to Somebody had a really good, so Chris Reynolds said, are we going to act like Seren's guy, the Seren guy's voice doesn't sound an awful lot like Andy Reid? Okay. So I heard actually Chris Collinsworth said he thinks he sounds like Mike Trico. In any event, he was great. Yeah. Uh, and this guy says, "Are we a hundred percent sure that Andy Reid didn't lose a couple pounds?" So hey, surrender your walks are doing you some favors. And he just added a, uh, a a fake beard. I'm not sure you take that T-shirt off. He's not wearing a Hawaiian shirt underneath. Um, Here's another one that comments on looks. I've got one. I've got one. Okay. If you know Austin Gale, um, we have he, him on. he was on the podcast a little uh, while ago. You can check him out. And this person says, this is uh, the Stats Life Productions, said, it's nice to see Eric's son on the podcast. Which I don't get. I mean. It's well, tremendous. It is. I, I don't know who that is making fun of most. Exactly, that's the best part. And then the Bruce Gradkowski episode, uh, Andre Roca said, went in with no expectations, and holy crap, this is a great pod. That's the story of my life. People came in with no expectations, and they just leave so, so glad. Uh, opposite way around, actually, mostly for me. People go, holy crap, this guy's kind of a dick. Um, 
Any other good ones? I think that's it. Here's my here's my quick hot take for you. Um, you are a pizza connoisseur, and there are some good pizza places by you, right? You mentioned that you went to one a little while ago. You were in Chicago, pizza place as well. Have you ever had pizza with this like hot honey on it? Mm-mm. Okay. It's becoming a much more popular thing, and I think that it is an a crime to put honey on like anything sweet on a pizza is a, disgusting is, a, is, is terrible pineapple on pizza sucks uh honey who's eating honey on a pizza i was you so, go i was laughed out of the quarantine dinner table by um my girlfriend and uh one of our friends that lives in this apartment who both of them they were like no this is this is great we love it and i was like i can't i can't do it it's terrible and uh see see i was shamed my, for it my pizza goes it can go it can go saltier and it can go spicier but it cannot go sweeter can't go sweeter can't go sweeter there we go it has been ruled on thursday we're going to redraft the nfl it's going to be a lot of fun kevin and timo are going to be here maybe someone else too uh thanks for listening stay safe donate to some good causes see you guys later peace out